You are listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast, a podcast from the Kavira Coalition about the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of agrarians in the United States. Each episode will explore what it means to work in regenerative agriculture, how people came to choose this as their livelihood, and why it's important to them and the future. We hope to build a foundation for a strong community of future agrarians and land stewards with a regenerative approach to community, relationships, and the land. Welcome back to another episode of Regeneration Rising. My name is Taylor Mulia. I'm the New Agrarian Program Colorado Manager. And today my guest is the beloved Donna Gonzalez. She is the Los Sembradores Farm Trainer and Youth Education Coordinator at the New Mexico Acequia Association. As many of you know, uh, Kivira Coalition is based in New Mexico and has really strong roots to the communities there. And so I was connected with Donna and we were having conversations about the economics of farming and how hard it can be and how that can really bring us down. But I really found her to have this spirit and this positivity that I don't often find in agriculture. She has this perspective of using agriculture to really heal where she comes from. So she stayed in her community and has a really strong sense of place and a real love for where she grew up. So, and is giving back to the community and really using agriculture as a way to change the culture of her community. So I'm so excited for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy. Donna, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Absolutely. So tell us, where are you calling in from today? So I'm calling in from a small village named Chamisal. It is in Taos County, New Mexico. And it is actually where I've spent the majority of my life. And it's just beautiful. (laughs) I love it more than any other place in the world. Oh, that's great. So I would love if you could just tell us your story briefly. I would love to just know how you grew up, what's your background, and how did you get to where you are today? So I grew up in this very beautiful small town. I have family directly around me, my grandparents, my tios, my tias, my cousins. And again, I've spent almost my entire life here. I did move away at some point to figure out college. And I decided pretty early on that I did not want to be in the city or that the city life was just not my thing. And so I moved back once once that decision was made. I've grown up with like a lot of culture and tradition, I'd say. My family or my grandparents have been here at least 13 generations. And so we have very strong or deep roots here, which is beautiful. I grew up like with with a very sweet and like real holiday. Everyone was always together, hanging out, butchering animals or harvesting meat and growing gardens together, collecting all our all our healing remedios. I feel like I feel like it was always 
part of my life, like each of those things. And then leaving to college, I thought I was going to do something like entirely different. And I didn't want to be on the land. And then once I came back home, I remember I was helping in the garden or helping in the hoop house. And I had just this huge epiphany of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, this is where it makes sense. This is where I'm happy. This is exactly what I want to be doing. And so through having that epiphany, I decided to learn more about how to be a market gardener. And so I took this really cool year course with a group called the American Friends Service Committee. And they had this beautiful garden in Espanola Valley. It was called Sostenga Farms. Through that year, I learned a lot more marketing. And so I knew a lot of the farm adventures. Like I knew how to plant. I knew how to water. I knew how to weed. Harvesting was usually just for family. And so I learned how to like harvest, how to wash, how to take to market. And how to really put yourself out there so that you can be making the money that you need to have a sustainable life. Through through figuring all that out, the American Friends Service Committee like bumped me up to a manager in that first year because they were like, "Oh, you really know what you're doing. You got this. Like we dig you." And I was I, I was very impressed and like amazed that they had that confidence and trust in me. And so I hung out with them for about. Two, two to three years and on the third year, they decided that it was time that this farm learning or farm training be handed over to a more local entity. And so that local entity was the New Mexico Waseki Association, which I also had been a part of for probably over 10 years as a youth. I did a lot of really cool like food justice work with them and just chilling with elders and talking about what it means to be a young farmer and how we can really use our voice to advocate for ourselves, for small communities. So I would just give a really huge shout out to both the New Mexico Asaki Association and the American Friends Service Committee for having the confidence in me and seeing that I could be a really good leader because if it wasn't for that, I don't know exactly where I would be. But I feel like all of that ties into my story and has just made my life like exactly aligned. It just felt like once I started this farm work, once I started learning, once I started training, life made sense. I want to know more about the community where you grew up and you still now live in. You said you grew up sort of collecting and harvesting native plants and using them as medicine and food. Can you talk about what plants grow there, what the people are like, what kind of food you eat, what you know, languages you speak? Can you just paint a, a picture of that community? Yes. My community is super small and just like full of, I would say, like Indo-Hispano culture. So we have our natives very close to the land. I actually live on the reservation, but not on the Pueblo. It's like a very sacred space. It has a lot of mountains. It has a lot of trees, lots of rivers, acequias. I would say that I grew up mostly or my grandparents mostly speak Spanish. And so I grew up 
having the opportunity to learn the bilingual. Like I know Spanish really good, know English very well because I went to the regular public school district, but really grateful that I've been in tune with two different parts of regular life. I know how to function in a Spanish setting. And I feel like that Spanish is like just very cultural to our tradition. I want to say that our Spanish is a lot different than than a regular like Spanish dialect. It's one of the oldest. And it has like a little bit of a Aztec feel to it. Or there's like a lot of words that resemble each other like in the Aztec language and our regular Spanish language. I would say that growing up here was very different because a lot of the time like you grow up in such a small community and a lot of people kind of bash on it like oh you're just from a small town you don't know what you're doing you should leave and for a long time, I was like, okay, I do have to leave. I don't want to be here because I heard it so much growing up. Like, you're not going to be worth anything if you don't leave. And so that was a really big deal. And right now, I'm just fighting so hard against it and telling all these youth that this is one of the most beautiful places, that they have every right to stay if they want to stay. And that they have every right to come back and still feel successful in life. But going back to like what it really feels like or what it looks like. So it's very like wild. It's very small. You know, again, I said there's like mountains all around us. Lots of wildlife. We have our bears and the elk and the deer and the wild cats and fishing is huge. And so it feels very country mountainy. And a lot of the time, like, Kids don't have like cool resources. Like we don't have big teams. We don't have football. We got like basketball and track. And so if that's not your thing, you're like hanging out outside with your friends, probably going fishing or camping. And I feel very honored that I got to like be outside as much as I have been. I feel like I'm very much a mountain girl. And my family has really instilled how important it is to honor the mountains, to be part of the mountain, because it is here to take care of us. Like the earth is here to, to be with us. And so really making sure that people know that. I feel like my family has taught me a lot about like natural healing or natural medicine. And so we did collect or we continuously collect a lot of different native plants around here and for example that would be like choke cherries you can use the choke cherry to make a cough syrup and you can make like cute cough drops for kids we can also make like our regular jelly but creating a lot of really cool like value-added products something that we're really good at we also use like our candelia or it's called weed in English and you know that that again is very good for lung problems for bronchitis or just call weeds and I'm like that's a straight up medicine we better harvest it because it might not be right now that we need it but it will be at some point <laughs> and then we are there with our fresh or dried herbs. That's something that I'm super interested it seems like you grew up with that tradition of 
even if you don't need it now, prepare it and you might need it later. Like it's a survival thing. It's a sort of contrary to the Western <laughs> white settler mindset of like, wait till the problem arises and find a really direct abrasive way to solve the problem instead of cultivating those resources over time and then using them and, and also boosting your health as you go, you know, and not waiting till it's absolutely dire to use something really drastic. Yes. So I feel like we are very big on making sure that health in general is one of the most important things because if you do not feel good, then you are not happy. I would say that one of the biggest things I've learned from like my family or that you are what you eat. And so forever, we just had our own homegrown meat and we would collect all the wild spinach because even if we weren't going to eat it all right now, we would dehydrate, we would blanch and freeze, we would save until we really needed that good iron mm -hmm. and all the good vitamins because winter is harsh and we for sure live in the food desert. For me, I have to travel at least 50 minutes, probably around like 40-ish miles, maybe more to get to like a regular grocery store. And those grocery stores still don't offer like anything valuable. It's like fast food, super quick, easy meals and organic is very expensive and so growing up my family was like what is organic but figuring out like how how to be successful enough to buy that or how to provide that to yourself and so as farmers who were always growing seasonal or like small gardens for family they were like oh like we grow organic food like that's what we do grow our traditional staples we keep our things organic. We're not using anything crazy on the plant, on our plants. And so then it was like this big awakening of that, like, we can really help ourselves again, even, even when you don't know all these like big terms. Yeah. Can you talk about a while ago, you mentioned the acequias. I want to talk about the New Mexico Acequia Association. Can you first describe what is an acequia for people who don't live in New Mexico? Yes. So. An acequia is a source of water for us in New Mexico. So off of a regular river, there are little branches, we'd say are like veins that come off the river and they feed all of our small towns. And so our towns are very reliant on like farming and ranching. And so our ranchers use them to water their hay fields. They use them to make sure that their animals are getting water and farmers will use them in the same exact way, but we use the water just to feed our vegetable gardens and make sure that our trees are okay. I would say that they're really big around here because it helps a lot with like a huge diverse ecosystem and it even plays into like feeding our water aquifers. They are really a source of livelihood for us. It's like how how our families and past ancestors have lived for hundreds of years in the state of New Mexico. Actually, we have, I want to say over, right around over 700 different acequias. Wow. And 
and yeah, it's really cool because New Mexico and I want to say Southern Colorado are part of the only places in the whole U.S. that have these so-called acequias. Like they have their own governing body, which is really cool because every acequia has to have what we call a mayordomo, and that is the boss of the acequia. He knows exactly where the water is, who's using the water, how much time they get with the water, and he's in charge of making sure that everybody on that acequia or in the community has a fair share. So then we have our commissioners and we have like all these really cool entities who take care of the water and make sure that it is running free of debris, free of contamination, and that it is being used and not taken or stolen by other like large corporations or just like Mm -hmm. taken to the city to be used as quickly as they can. But mm-hmm. yeah, I want to say that's what the second is. I'm wondering, I'm trying to picture, I'm from the suburbs of Arizona and water flows in like concrete canals and that's how it's transported. And the sequia, I'm trying to understand what it is an offshoot of a river. Are there any sort of development type infrastructure that directs that water? Or are you talking about a straight up stream? That is a very great question. I would say that every acequia is different. So depending on how close or how far it is to the main river, there are different components. So we have something called like a compuerta or like a door, a head gate for us is where we can actually open the water. And then we take that chunk of water from the river and it will come downstream. So downstream can be, you know, super close to the acequia or to the river. I feel like, again, every community is different. For me, in my community, we are about 13 miles from our watershed, and these acequias actually get cleaned every year. So every spring, there will be a huge team of at least 20 really strong individuals who are cutting back haras or like red willow trees. They're taking out any trash. They are removing really big rocks and boulders and making sure that the flow is exactly the way we need it to be. And so for me, there's actually this really cool story of how our Asekias came to be. So it's been easily over 500 years that my community has been using these Asekias. We first have our land grants, and the Secchias are really connected, I will say. So the land grants of Las Trampas here in New Mexico is one of the first towns that was kind of developed. And to have a land grant, you had to have a church, you had to have enough community to really like feed itself and rely on itself. But in relying on yourself, you have to get water from the watershed, from the big mountain, from your regular snowpack down to the village. And so it took 13 families, 13 years to dig 13 miles. And this was before (laughs) there were like tools, like they did all of this by hand, you know, with, I want to say like probably wooden shovels because (laughs) there was not any 
any like real hardcore machinery and even reflecting on like really old stories we have so much boulder around and like these just massive rocks and our ancestors were just like so smart because they would make a fire under these huge rocks and once the rock was red and hot they would pour cold water on it and it would shatter into a lot of different pieces so that they wouldn't have to work super hard on removing one big piece they would break it down easily and then remove what was needed to make the flow like continuously go so really just reflecting that they had so much knowledge and power without having like big tools and i'm always like what how did they figure it out because it feels it feels like very much common sense but at the same time like not everybody is trying to figure out crazy things like this or simple things that have different ways to like get around it because modern day technology like if you want to blow up a boulder you just use like some dynamite Aztec is are just very magical and beautiful for our state for our region yeah i am trying to understand because i've heard a lot of people talk about acequias and whenever they talk about it there's this, this like special way of, of talking about it like it was always this sort of thing that you don't really understand until you really dive into the history and the heritage and i think a lot of people now in the west we look at water as very it's just a resource and it runs downhill and we put it in this bucket over here and these people have access to it and it's just this completely different mindset based on a lot of history and a lot of trust and cooperation, it seems like. And can you talk about more at NMAA, which is New Mexico Asequia Association, can you talk about more of their mission broadly? You know, we've got a lot of people directing water, but there's a lot more to it than that. Yes, I do work for the New Mexico Asequia Association, and I have been part of their team for quite a long time now, but their real mission is to protect water in general. And then we really have this big like heart around growing healthy food for families and communities and to really honor our cultural heritage because it is so rich. I feel like we have this really clear vision about what what the past has looked like and we want to like continuously reciprocate on that idea and so making sure that people are working together to grow this healthy food for our elders for our babies for all of our neighbors so that our traditions stay strong so that we stay strong in our spiritual ways and we have this really cool word called cadencia and it's it really breaks down to like, to querer, like, what do you love? What is something that like nobody can take away from you, regardless of where you are or where you're from or what you're doing, but to querer or to have this really strong cadencia is what we know as like in the second community. First of all, you love your family and you take care of your family, but in taking care of your family, again, if you were growing really healthy food for them you have probably been saving seed or have passed down seed from like many generations in your family and it's probably one of the most beautiful things to experience like hanging out with elders like youth and elders together in the same room to talk about 
where these seeds come from, the exact way that these seeds should be saved or should be planted or how they used to eat this food. And so it's more than just a secular work. I feel like it's a lot of just keeping a strong, healthy tradition going while also really trying to heal a lot of past injustices. And so our communities are small, we are of color. And for a very long time, we know people of color were not cool. And so now we are here to be like, no, this is our land. This is how we run the show. This is what we're doing. Let us teach you. Come be a part of the circle. And so really figuring out how to share that like dignified respect for the agriculture and for ranching and for like a different livelihood in general. Yeah. And can you talk about your particular job? What is the program that you work on? So I've been training farmers through the New Mexico Asake Association for, I want to say this is maybe my sixth year. And we have this beautiful program called Los Sembradores. And what I do is I get to hang out with a beautiful cohort of apprentices yearly. And so we will start usually around February and we will end in November, December. So it's almost a full year. There's like maybe a month or two short, but we cover everything from farm and business planning to how to receive seed from your area, how to plant that seed, how to take care of it, how to water, how to weed, how to add nutrition to your soil if you need, how to take it to market and how to really be sustainable as a farmer or a rancher and how to feel like respected, how to like care for your community. And so at this point through the New Mexico Asake Association and the American Friends Service Committee, I've graduated right around 35 farmers and most of them are young, you know, 20s, 30s. And they all have this amazing outcome of life and how their life has changed and what they're doing now and how they're like so much happier and what they decided to do rather than like what they were doing prior. For example, I have this this sembrador who came into the program and he was a graduated chemical engineer. He was working for the city. He had a super high paying job and he was just like, it's not fulfilling. Like I was in this degree because I knew it was going to make money, but he was like, it's not where my heart's at. And so through really like changing the mindset of like, let's do what your heart really wants to do. He's created this whole business around farming, around growing mushrooms and selling them to restaurants. And he's like, I'm, I'm banking it. Like I'm banking it. I'm happy. His family's happy. He has this good relationship with his family now that he didn't have before because he gets to just share all these vegetables and they eat together and they harvest and wash together. And he's like, I feel good. Like, I didn't feel good before, but now I really feel good. That's exactly what I want for each of these farmers. And so another really beautiful thing that I've just like had the time to kind of think about or talk about with some is, is that 
farming traditionally or like a lot of the time girls or females are shamed because like farming isn't for girls you have to be a big strong macho man and I'm like no way farming is for everybody who wants to farm girls can drive tractors the exact same way that guys can we can get money (laughs) we can play in the dirt we're not scared and so it's really changing the table of how strong female can be. I've had like a handful of my male apprentices just like be so thankful that I gave them like the safe space to hang out with flowers or gemelios in general. It's so cute because they're like, I would have never, like I would have never known how beautiful or how magical the flower was. And so I've seen like these men go from like, heavy duty macho to like planting a flower garden or a flower path like directly out their front door and they're like this is what I wake up to and I feel great about it it's just so beautiful (laughs) to hear their excitement about things that we learn together and process together and like just really breaking down barriers that have been put there in the past because there shouldn't be these huge barriers it should be like Work is work, and we're farming to farm to feed, and we feed our families, and that's why we're healthy. And so I really, really, really love my work. I feel super excited in what I do and how I do it, and even a a huge different part of my work is really aggregating food so this local food this organic food this traditional food to local school districts so again we come from low-income communities and there's this crazy statistic that it's like two out of three kids in the state are not getting the nutritional value that they need and so in providing my produce i really feel that i'm helping these kids my heart is happy because They might not be getting this food at home and they might not be able to buy organic at the grocery store, but I love my vegetables and I pick them with love and I deliver them with love. And these lunch ladies and these kids are just like so happy to get fresh stuff. And it's just this huge change on like what really matters because I'm not getting rich off of farming. But at the same time, I feel like I'm rich because I'm doing the job that I want to be doing. And I'm sharing the resources that I have to these beautiful kids who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to like eat really good food. First of all, I have to say, I think it's your mindset and your attitude about life is super inspiring. I think there's a lot of push in agriculture, especially young people in agriculture, you know, make money, make money, make money, like get, figure out a way that to make this profitable. And yes, that is a part of the picture, but it's also, you know, I feel like sometimes we lose the whole point of it all. If we're trying to just make money and, and, and center on that one goal where I'm from, everyone goes and gets a fancy job and then to pay for the fancy car to go to their fancy house. And all of this costs a lot of money. So then you have to go to work all the time to pay for that car that gets you to work. And (laughs) meanwhile, like there's no, it's just this, this circle that you is a hamster wheel that you get in. And 
it looks like with the first gentleman you were talking about, you're just breaking that up and pulling somebody out of that system and just being like, hey, you you are a human on this earth. And we we haven't been doing things the way we've been doing them for a long time. And pulling it back to what really matters, like actually being a human. And so I just I just find that so so inspiring. And you also talk about farming. We had, we had a conversation before you said farming is in everyone's veins that they just need to awaken the genes. And so I hear people say, I don't have time to garden or I don't know how to fit it into my life. So how do you navigate those conversations with people when you're trying to, you know, can't quite get somebody to start a farm, completely quit their job and go all for it, but at least incorporate these aspects into your life. How do you navigate those conversations? I will say that I, all the time, I am just talking about how farming has always been a part of us. Like, this is what we did to survive hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago. And it is why we are alive right now as a civilization because of these farmers. But I would say that, like, again, farming is totally in our genes. Like, I'm not a scientist, but I'm like almost 100% positive that everybody has this gene in them of like survival. And so really thinking that even if you don't have the time to have a full on garden and grow a huge diversity of vegetables, okay, start small, start in your windowsill and maybe just grow a few herbs and see how that feels for you. Grow your spearmint or grow rosemary, grow lavender, grow what's really calling you. And even if you've had just the smallest thought about it, like about growing a garden, about being outdoors, if being outdoors feels good, I would say that you really should just try and start small because farming is very beautiful work, but it is a lot of work. You need to have really good practice and you need to just be on it all the time. Like as a farmer, I would say, these seeds or these plants or beans are almost like humans. You don't get to step away from a baby because it is there. Like you give it even more love the minute it starts starts to sprout and it starts to bloom and you talk to it and you're with it. And the more you're with that plant, the healthier, the stronger, the more harvest you will get off of it. And so you don't need a lot of time. You don't have to start big, but you just have to start if that's what's calling you. And for kids, I feel like I hang out with kids a lot. And I can totally tell the kids that are going to be gardeners or that like really enjoy the outdoors because they're playing in the mud and they're checking out bugs. And they're like, well, what's this? Why is this happening? And those are the kids that I'm just always encouraging. Like, yo, you don't have to farmer but it looks like you really enjoy the outdoors so let's figure out hobby or a job or an apprenticeship that works for you because I feel like a lot of people have been pulled away so much from farming from agriculture that they don't realize how smart even the smallest organism is so a lot of the time I get to hang out with kids and I will show them like just one seed and I'll ask them like, what do you think 
this seed is made out of? Or what do you think about a seed? And a lot of the time they're just like, it's a seed. You just plant it and you hope it grows. And then I get to go back and really break down that a seed is like a whole person. That is a whole body. That seed has a brain of its own. It has a heart of its own. It has legs and it knows exactly where it came from. It knows how it was handled in the past. It knows who touched it. It knows what soil it was in. And then they're like, what? Like the seed knows all of that? And if seeds, even the tiniest of seeds, can hold all of that knowledge, like I know that as human beings, we hold so much more, even when it's not easy. Like even when things are hard and chaotic, we are holding on to this really deep knowledge of who we are and to where we came from and how we were cared for. And so teaching that all of that really, really matters is a big part of why just even playing in the dirt is important. Like go soak your feet in the river, go make some mud pies by yourself or with your kid because it feels good. And even out of just feeling good, I feel like the earth is here to heal us. A lot of us come with past trauma, with ancestral trauma, childhood trauma. And so really just like letting that go while you're outside, like take your deep breaths, do your meditation outside and to notice or realize like how beautiful the outdoors and Mother Earth really, really is because she is here to heal us. And before you were saying that there's something in everyone's genes that is programmed for survival, like there is if the world collapses, right, where we are programmed for survival. And I actually, you know, hearing you talk more, I am thinking it doesn't even need to be to that point, because I almost think there is, <laughs> sounds terrible, but there is sort of a collapse like that has slowly been happening. And we understand that, you know, mental health and physical health and a lot of our deep traumas, like you were saying, those are actually happening, but they're a lot more insidious than this big you know, Armageddon that we always think about, but it's this slow, really difficult to define and track and understand. We see our children are, are more and more malnourished because our food doesn't have any nutrition in it and it's covered in pesticides and herbicides. And, and we see a lot of our mental health declining because we go on like the hamster wheel, like I was saying, and we tend to not connect with the earth. So I think you bring up a really good point that we have these genes to heal and to survive, but it's actually right now when we need to use it. Like we are actually seeing those, those changes already. So you were saying that you are working with elders in your community and you're trying to pass down that knowledge to the next generation. Can you talk about this, the culturally appropriate food that you are communicating to the next generation and teaching kids and young people how to cultivate these things. Can you talk about any experience you've had with an elder teaching the next generation? So I would say for sure, now more than ever, it is really important to like feeding our bodies what is good and meaningful. I feel like the entire pandemic or just like the start of the pandemic showed us like how crazy 
it can really get. I remember there being like empty shelves everywhere and how insane it felt like not to be able to get just one simple thing that you needed to create dinner or to create breakfast. And so going back to the land and going back to being a farmer, but really to roots, because each of us come from different roots, different ancestors, and really beautiful food. And so for me, I remember just like growing up next to my grandparents' house, and my grandpa was always like, these are chilitas. This is wild spinach. You don't have to plant it. You don't have to take care of it. It's just here doing its own thing because it's happy and it wants to be here for us. And so in my area, we even have three different types of wild spinach. And they are beautiful beyond even words. They are like sparkly and the tops are green and the bottoms are purple. And they just have so much life and abundance in them that it would be hard not to know that they're deliciously edible. And so figuring out like how to harvest that wild spinach or learning as a kid how to harvest with my grandparents and how to wash and how to cook and really enjoy a full meal of homegrown goodness. I feel like I always grew up with pigs around or like with with very beautiful animals around and going through the process of like you raise an animal and you are beyond thankful and you give it all this love and then you have to harvest meat and how hard it was to like be in love with an animal and then have to harvest and I remember just being in shock like when they were like oh this is the pig and making pastola with him was beyond delicious and so really connecting homegrown and really good food full of nutrition to our families and to elders and to how we've been so separated because again like of course you can find all this stuff at the supermarket and and it's not full of vitamins it doesn't have what it needs a lot of the time a lot of our meat in general is grown in these huge industrial complexes and from the minute they are born to the minute that they are killed they live with fear and so then how come we have so much fear as a community because that's what we're eating and so really going back to you are what you eat i would say just growing up by my elders has been probably one of the biggest blessings that I've had in my life. And that's just because I've learned so much. I know that my grandpa has had like one of the most beautiful orchards and he has these amazing huge trees and they're I'm sure easily more than a hundred years old. And every year, like we worked so hard on making sure those trees got pruned and making sure that they got just the right amount of water and making sure that we harvested on time and made something with each of those different apples because there's such a variety out there of almost every food. And that's something else that a lot of people don't know. Like there's hundreds of different types of apples and what's best for you? And going back to just that, there's so many beautiful traditional meals like 
for this area, I would say that beans and chili are like a staple. And beans, like so many people do not eat beans <laughs> the way we eat beans, but they're one of the most yummy and like healing meals that our grandmothers can offer us. I remember just like being sick and not feeling good. And they would be like, okay, like here's your beans, here's your chili. Your chili has just as much or more vitamin C than an orange. So you're going to be fine. Your cold's going to pass. Yeah. I would just say just honoring the elders is really beautiful. I'm learning from them because like I've even learned from them that the things that you really need most are growing right outside your front door. And that could be medicine, that could be food, that could be anything in between, but it grows for you. You don't even have to plant it half the time. It is there and you just have to realize that it's there and you have to learn how to take care of it. Learn how to cook it, learn how to harvest it. And then you were healing yourself and the earth is also healing you. And so really opening your eyes to see the world in like a different perspective because again so many people like we just call them weeds and I'm like no way that's not a weed leave it you're gonna use it but yeah knowing knowing that just natural elements are here to provide even when we are not asking for them is pretty magical okay Donne my last question is what excites you about the future oh man <laughs> I feel generally very excited about the future. I would say that that even more recently, farmers are coming back. And for a hot minute there, I was almost bugged because farming was just like a sexy thing. And it was like, I'm farming just to be cool. <laughs> but right now, I feel like it's really coming back to be like, hey, like I'm farming to feed my family. I'm farming to like heal my community. And so I feel like kids totally see that. Even, even this past weekend, like I had the cutest little boy come up to me. And in the past, like right before COVID, I was in his classroom giving a presentation, talking about why farmers are so important. And he just like bumped into me at the store and he was like, hey, do you remember me? And I was like, what's up? I'm glad you remember me. And he's like, I really want to work with you. I really want to farm with you. Just like, how can you get me there? And so really seeing that this younger generation is checking out and like wanting to experiment how, how farming really is and how ranching really is and how it can benefit us as a whole is really beautiful. So I would say I'm really excited about youth in general, filling and learning and getting them excited about it. I would say that, that I have this other cohort or like an older group that's always just like, wow, if a zombie apocalypse does happen, I can survive because I know how to feed myself. And so it's like, yeah, I feel like it's just totally different realms, but like both, both could happen. You never know what kind of apocalypse is coming. And so making sure that people feel really comfortable in what they're doing and how they're doing it and knowing that they are happy or feel good about it is huge. I would say that working with youth from pre-K 
to the 12th grade and then working with everybody in between, working with like 20 year olds and 30 year olds and 40 year olds and really like deciding what it is we want for ourselves, for our community, for our family and what health really looks like. Because just going back to getting out of the hamster wheel, like some people really want that white picket fence and that is honorable and I understand because I have wanted that at one point in my life. But really going back to like, ew, I was like, that does not feel, it doesn't feel good to me. So let me figure out what feels good and honoring all the kids who want to stay and who would rather go to a community college and who would rather take care of their elders than leave the community and like, giving them all the praise because they matter so much in small communities. I would say that probably the last thing I'm really excited about is just knowing that kids learn so much from being outdoors and really helping them harness the excitement and do really good work with it because I've seen just like this but this amazing array of kids go through these programs and now they are full-on farmers. Now my apprentices like have their own businesses and they are selling flowers and they are selling mushrooms and they are selling value-added products. And just seeing that I honestly feel like our ancestors are proud of them, proud of us for the work that we are doing because it is not always easy and we are not making a million dollars, but in heart and soul and in society, I am rich. I feel rich. I have a house. I have a car. I can take a vacation if I want. And and my soul is like, oh, like there's nothing that I feel like I am lacking in life. I feel excited and I'm happy to like wake up on Monday and go to work. And I want everybody to really feel that way because not everybody does. I just love listening to you. First of all, I think you should write a book. And second of all, I'm just really honored to have met you. So thank you so much for being on our podcast, Donate. You are such a light in the world and I'm so happy to know you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited, excited to share and excited to be with you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today and thank you so much to Donay for stopping by to be our guest. If you'd like to learn more about her program at the New Mexico Acequia Association, you can go to lasacequias.org. That's L-A-S-A-C-E-Q-U-I-A-S.org. And you can also find the New Mexico Acequia Association on Facebook and Instagram. Are you looking for a job in regenerative agriculture? Kivira Coalition has spent decades building a network within the regenerative agriculture community, and we love to share job, internship, and apprenticeship opportunities with our community through our podcast and monthly newsletter. Edible New Mexico is seeking a digital editor to co-edit The Bite and to work with the editor and publisher to build sustainable digital platforms for Edible New Mexico and The Bite. 
They are also hiring an associate editor to assist the editor and publisher with a bi-monthly production of Edible New Mexico's print magazine and support production of digital content for Edible New Mexico and The Bite. These positions include working with staff and freelance contributors to develop and share artful, community-minded, diverse stories about food, drink, and dining around New Mexico. For both positions, visit ediblenm.com slash opportunities to find out more. Practical Farmers of Iowa is seeking a livestock viability manager to lead their efforts to grow regenerative livestock systems and help diverse, independent livestock farmers thrive. If you are passionate about bringing livestock back to the land and ensuring fair farm livelihoods for regenerative producers, this role is for you. To learn more, visit practicalfarmers.org. Lightroot Community Farm in Boulder, Colorado is seeking a diversified farm assistant. The 65-acre, highly diversified biodynamic farm and dairy's mission is to foster relationships with the land and nature through agriculture and are seeking a full-time, year-round employee to join the farm team. To learn more, visit lightroot.farm slash join dash our dash farm dash team. Every month, we include job postings in our monthly newsletter. So if you don't already receive our monthly newsletter, visit cuviracoalition.org to sign up. To view a copy of this month's newsletter or to read any of our previous newsletters, visit cuviracoalition.org slash newagrarian slash resources. Have a job opportunity to show yourself? Send it to newagrarian at cuviracoalition.org so we can include it in our next newsletter and podcast. Thank you for listening to Regeneration Rising, a podcast production of the Kavira Coalition. We'd like to thank our guests for taking the time to talk with us about their experiences. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other popular podcast platforms. Become a Patreon supporter by visiting kaviracoalition.org slash podcasts. We'd also like to thank Kavira staff members, Leah Ritchie, Taryn Dixon, Taylor Mulia, Lynn Whitbeck, and Caroline Caldwell for their contributions to producing this podcast. This episode was edited and engineered by Caleb Wenzel-Fisher. Wanderlust, our theme music, was made by Scott Buckley. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the land. <laughs>